Hey, very good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Sean. This is Alex. And you're listening to another episode of Coaster Kings Radio. And today's episode is called Crazy Rides, Crazier Concepts. Because many rides usually start in like a concept phase. Where it's all, you know, pie in the sky, crazy shit. And then in reality, it's not quite as wild. Yeah, as Disney would say, blue, blue sky concepts. Yeah, the more PG to, version. To get your the creative juices really flowing and, and flesh out as many potential ideas as possible. Just do whatever you could possibly think of for a ride concept and then they let the guys in budgeting scale it down to whatever is necessary. Or, you know, get the audience. Out. I mean, there's whole rides manufactured that get changed before it even opens or... Um, one, I don't even have that on the list, true. but you know, <laughs> Wallaby Holland built the outdoor version of Rock and Roller Coaster back in the Six Flags Holland days. Seated it to Riddler, and I realized after already having to paint Painted the track <laughs> that it was that nobody knew who the Riddler was in the Netherlands, and that it wasn't going to be a marketable ride. So then they repainted it to green, sorry, to to Dude, red and Superman blue colors. to make it Superman, yeah. and then rethemed the and then themed the inside of the station. To be themed to, um, or the, the cube build, building, rather. I actually have another one of those. The, the Intamin Freefall, which is now gone at Six Flags St. Louis, was originally going to be Acrophobia. And they even painted it, like, green, orange, and blue. And then decided, after it had already painted it, that they were going to retheme it to Superman. That's right. Oh, I missed that one, too. <laughs> that was a good ride. It's so, this list that we have uh, compiled today is going to be a variety of rides, um, mostly in the Western world of, of theme parking. Where concepts have been released concepts for decades now, find, yeah. um, and these are going to be concepts of all sorts of rides that I think most people do know. I think every single ride on this list, everyone listening, is probably going to be familiar with. Um, and then they were conceptualized to be something themed completely different, or just a completely different kind of ride, um, or a much longer ride, or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited to dive into to that, and I think the best one to start with is. The OG pie in the sky <laughs> concept, where I'm still surprised that they even came up with it, and that is the Hollywood Tower Hotel Tower of Terror, the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror at Disney's Hollywood, Hollywood Studios. Studios. <laughs> at the time, it was still MGM Studios. So I love the concept metamorphosis of this attraction because they actually so they, this concept did actually start out as an attraction for Disneyland Paris. When they were building the park, they were theorizing the very first time that Disney thought about doing a drop ride in a park was actually for Frontierland at Disneyland Paris, that that mineshaft ride concept. It was also conceptualized, of course, inside Discovery Mountain. Discovery Mountain, yep. And then eventually moved to the new park. the The Journey to the Center of the Earth concept, which as we'll get into that a little bit later because of course hyperspace mountain paris was like kind of the 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 catalyst for this whole episode admiring all the concepts and the way things changed for that ride and uh it's uh accoutrement rides as well but the so it started out as a frontierland mine shaft ride and then became a journey to the center of the earth discovery land ride and then journey to the center of the earth became a different type of ride and went to a different park and then ultimately, the drop ride concept from Disney finally settled um, at Hollywood Studios. And it's interesting. I think the most interesting thing about these early concepts for the ride is how it was very clearly, um, especially in the journey to the center of the earth phase of this concept, it was very clearly an intimate first generation freefall that was like jazzed up, dolled up, but it had the distinctive L shape. 
And even as recently as the Tower of Terror concepts, like in this one particular piece of art that we've been admiring, it even demonstrates the way the vehicles would travel up, go forward, which was later even exaggerated and, and developed further in the final concept of the ride where the elevator cars move forward from their rising shaft into the drop shaft. But most notably, how the vehicles would fall and then land in a 90-degree elbow, like an into, like a first-gen free fall, and would have scenes that would be visible in the ceiling that you would be looking straight up at. So what is really fascinating to me is when you look at the original concept, which um, has boosts a similar shape of the building, um, first of all, the queue was going to be through a giant hotel. In fact, there was going to be this multi-level scenes, and then you're going to go outside for a little bit, and then eventually you will make your way all the way down into the um, boiler room of the hotel. Yeah, it was like enormous. And that's where you would board concept, the, uh, exactly. Yeah, and that's where you would board your your ride vehicle, the elevator. And then you would go up, and all above the station and the queue, they would have the scenes that we're so familiar with. You know, the, the disappearing characters and you know the long hallway. In fact, it would actually be two scenes there. Uh, one of which was a it looks like a dance party, which it's, the cool thing is, in the modern projection mapping they did for the uh, 50th anniversary, they actually paid homage to that because there is a top floor of the hotel they projection mapped, uh, you know, like a, like a ballroom into. Uh, anyway, and then you were to go up one more story where you would have the the classic hallway um, where eventually the mirror would disappear. Then you will move into a shaft right side on the side of it or behind it, <laughs> and you would do your first drop, and you would drop all the way to below station level. Where you have an underground dark scene, <laughs> which is really cool. So this was going to have more, a lot more scenes than we're currently used to, of course, because it's budgeted down. Um, you would have a giant dark ride scene, and then you would go up the big shaft, the big tower. Um, same thing, one shaft up and then one shaft down. And they would again end up underneath where the queue and the station buildings are. And for your next dark ride scene, which was more themed to the Broken Mirror, I guess, the first one was just the usual, every element of... The pre-show, and then the second dark ride scene would be yeah, after the second like drop. The car would ride itself up like a first-gen freefall car does, and like by popping itself upright, that would like smash the mirror. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a fascinating concept. And then it would ride underneath itself. I mean, this is so complicated compared to even already it's a complicated incredibly. version that we have right now. It was two. It was like two separate. This this concept was like two intimate first-gen freefalls tethered together with a dark ride portion in between, like connecting the first tower to the second tower and then going back. Like that as complicated as the actual ride is, it was conceptualized as something even more uh, <laughs> and even more astoundingly complex. Um, and it wasn't until the ride had already opened actually, that one of the main hallmarks of the existing attraction that you have where the tower where the where the elevator cars do multiple drops and do and, and like rocket up and, and you experience positive G's like taking your way up to the tower. The ride was always conceptualized strictly as a drop tower and opened as such and didn't even receive a second drop in its ride cycle until nineteen ninety six. So something that I consider to be a, a major component of this ride, which is like not just randomized drop sequences, but just bouncing, like doing more than just a, a slow ride to the top and a free fall, wasn't even part of the ride's concept at any point. 
Well, I think that what, what we've learned with not just the original tower um, in Orlando here, um, but also with Guards of Galaxy, Mission Breakout, and then also um, New Dimension of Chills, Tower Terror at Disneyland Paris, is that I think the time to board vehicles is so much longer. Like, there is more time to do stuff in the main shaft, yeah. whether you're on the old version or the newer version towers, um, that you know you could add more to it. Because when they... Um, reprogrammed Guardians and they reprogrammed the Tower in Paris, they updated those drop sequences to be much yeah, longer. It's a much longer more going on. And I don't think it at any point has affected capacity because the shaft is just empty otherwise when there's two vehicles parked in the station, you know what I'm saying? Like in the newer versions. Yeah. So um and what I find fascinating on the original concept for the Orlando Tower is that it really only called for one station. It was, it was almost like an omnimover-ish kind of way of doing the dark ride yeah. with then drops in between. But there really wasn't, you know, now we're used to having four stations or three stations or six stations, you know, depending on, on the iteration, um, which obviously helps the capacity. But this looks almost like a really bad capacity version of the original, which may have something to do with why they completely changed the script on, on the concept and um, did something else. Because if you only can load one elevator at a time, I yeah. mean, it's, it's capacity shot and, and you know, by three quarters and I think compared the elevator to what we have now. Vehicles were smaller too in the concept. Like when you look at the design, like when you look at the scenes and the size of the scenes in relationship to the size of the vehicle, the vehicles really did look like little four passenger cars, just like the Intamin first gen free falls. They were more in the like the dune buggy size bracket where like you and maybe just two or three other people <laughs> would be riding around together in their elevator car. But then expanding it to the the very large vehicles that we have now, I think was absolutely necessary. Um, and I think adds to the experience. I think it's more fun to have like a, a party atmosphere in your elevator car. So yeah, that is the first ride on our list. And then the next ride on our list, um, also totally changing gears, is Tennessee Tornado. <laughs> Which is obviously Dollywood's Aero Looper, kind of like a one of its kind, um, a mega looper, where we Aero really did or attempted to do a giant elements. Um, it will be, I must say, it is the smoothest Aero that, that probably exists mm-hmm. as a looper. Um, Ellen Shoki had a way with supports and, and, and doing the track thing when he was with Aero, and um, it came out to be a good ride, but it's short, and Very it short. was conceptualized to be something so much more. However, the concept is murky. Because the concepts that um, the model that they once made for it shows the current layout as one of the rides. It shows a clone of Anaconda at King's Dominion as a possible layout. And then it still has the mine train in there as well. So maybe they were all supposed to coexist. I'm not exactly sure what I their plan was. I think there was a version of the concept. I mean, the fact that the model came out, it, it made the rounds on social media this past summer. And of course, we saved it in like several places because it's so cool. The model camp that came out, it's impressive how nicely Anaconda, a King's Dominion, a clone of it, would have fit in the in the plot. It would have been essentially a terrain coaster. Like, the current setup of the ride, if you've ridden Tennessee Tornado, after the vertical loop, you have the nice big, like, fan curve well, that climbs the mountain. Yeah. yeah. That's where the lift hill and drop would have been for the Anaconda clone. If you can picture it, the lift hill would have scaled the mountain... On that side, 
Um, just essentially what it does now in its current iteration. Really, the layout is a... I think they started with an Anaconda clone and then made various tweaks to it. But the, the second and third inversions, the loop and the sidewinder, are also essentially in the same place that they would have been if they had just built a clone of Anaconda as suggested potentially in this model system. Also, I think the way they would have done it was building the coaster, like, to get Anaconda to fit in the plot, they would have been able to just build it directly on top of the mine train, which I think is why the mine train is also present in this model. Um, Like, for clearance purposes and stuff, I think it would have been possible to do both, but just extremely expensive, and then maybe not necessary. Like, they may not have needed that capacity at the time. They were able to, to... make back some of their expenses by selling the existing mine train to Magic Springs and saved a lot of money on the execution by repurposing the station, the maintenance barn, the queue. There was so much infrastructure already in place from the mine train that it made sense to do a custom layout that would repurpose those items. Um, But even with the money that they saved by being able to resell the ride and repurpose the infrastructure, they still ran out of money. Um, <laughs> which is why the ride is so short. Apparently, the expense of uh, carving out the mountain for the first drop, which is incredible. I mean, just an amazing... I mean, it's one of the biggest highlights, having a um, giant vertical tunnel. I mean, it's like an RCT it's, dream, it's right? It's like, totally, totally RCT. Um, but yeah, that apparently that aspect of the ride cost a lot more money than originally expected, so... The, God, um, I especially really want to ride it again. I'm the... Because I think even as recently, even after they had they had turned the layout into essentially what we have now, instead of a right turn immediately into the brakes, there's rumors that it would have had like two corkscrews and a helix. I mean, it would have yeah, like an interlocking corkscrew. There would have been more elements, which is again kind of lends itself to Anaconda, either an interlocking corkscrew or a double corkscrew and a helix or some sort of figure eight thing, which is essentially. Anaconda. So it's interesting that like they, they added the first loop, they did some changes, and then they took away the back half of the ride. But when you consider where it started, it's kind of amazing um, the similarities that it still has to Anaconda. Um, even right down to the first drop having an underground tunnel, something that both rides still... Uh, well, I guess Anaconda's is an underwater tunnel. But again, the similarities are interesting. The The source material never did stray so incredibly far from the original that you couldn't imagine it being where they started versus where it ended. And just a great ride in its own right. Yeah, I really want to ride it again. Because, did, again, yeah. the tunnel on the ground, it's yeah. so unusual. There's only yeah. a few rides I've ridden that have that, and it really does make a difference. Um, one of the rides, actually, we were talking about in a little bit. Uh, but next up, we're going to be talking about um, Discovery Mountain... <laughs> More famously known currently as a Hyperspace Mountain and Disneyland Paris, which was conceptualized to be probably one of Disney's greatest, grandest um, experiences and obviously got neutered down to what's still one of Disney's very best rides, but it was conceptualized to be so this much more. This is the reason for the season. This is the reason for this, the season. This podcast episode exists because of our love for the original Discovery Mountain concept at Disneyland Paris, which is a concept that was developed at the same time as the rest of the park. But early on, I think probably from the get-go, they knew that they weren't going to include Discovery Mountain with the opening day developments. 
I don't think there was ever a plan to open it with the park for because even as rec- as early as the like the eighties, they were like, no, this is going to be something that we add later when we want to combat um, sagging interest in the resort after the, the the fanfare of the first few years subside. Um, didn't end up working out that way because the park was so underattended and and struggling financially and and image wise that they ended up having to pull the trigger on Discovery Mountain pretty much right away. Like, by the end of the 1992 fiscal year, they pulled the trigger not only on the, on Indiana Jones, which was a really a, kind of a Band-Aid coaster, a quick fix, that they, just to get something in there. That ride actually had, like, one of the shortest development gestations of any major Disney ride. It, from the time that they decided they wanted something of that nature to the ride opening was, like, an 11-month window, which is unheard of for Disney. Um... It kind of makes sense when you look at that, right? It's not a, it's, there's not a whole lot to it, although it has um, developed a cult following, and we're huge fans of it. But Discovery Mountain needed a lot more time in the oven. It was a two-year project. Once they even had their ideas, what they could realistically build, um, narrow down. It started out really as like a, a subsection of Discovery Land, like a whole area, a massive indoor experience with multiple attractions. Space Mountain would have been a roller coaster inside of Discovery Mountain that would have been hanging kind of in the ceiling of this enormous uh, cone-shaped building. It kind of kept the same architectural flourishes as the OG Space Mountains, but just amplified it and, and gave it the the copper and oxidized metal flourishes of, of Discovery Land and Jules Verne and whatnot. Um, but it was... There was no way that... Even if Disneyland Paris had been extremely financially successful, the concept for Discovery Mountain would have absolutely needed to be scaled back. I mean, I wouldn't say that's absolutely needed to be scaled back because if they ever were, you know, I'll say there was a complete success right at the gate, maybe they would have done it because that was, you know, some of the crazier times for Disney. But other things that were supposed to be included in Discovery Mountain is, um, first of all, there's going to be a special entrance where you would have to go through the existing Videopolis which is the giant theater slash dinner area um, that is in Discovery Land. And then you would go all the way up to the top of it, and there was there's two tubes. And the tubes were installed, except for the bridge into the mountain was never installed. And that's where you would walk into Discovery Mountain as one of the multiple entryways um, in which you would find just you know three, four attractions. The train was even conceptualized to go through it. I mean, it was going to be pretty much hovering over the existing yeah. Discovery Land. And we're finding a lot of... The concepts back in the park, such as the roller coaster, did make it. Um, Nautilus, even though it didn't get a dark ride, it got a walkthrough attraction that is right underneath slash next to the lagoon of Discovery Mountain, Space Mountain. Um, so, so we did find some of that back. But anyway, there was supposed to be two tubes that that went into the mountain, and then once inside, you also had, like you mentioned earlier in the episode, the first gener- uh, first generation Intamin drop ride that would stick out of the mountain um, and then you would have your roller coaster and the roller coaster was conceptualized to be seen from many many places within within the mountain like you would walk around the roller coaster would zoom by and there would be a walk through and the roller coaster would be you know all around you and the cool thing is when it did eventually build Space Mountain from the Earth to the Moon the Hotel Loon, they did have the whole queue almost as a walk through where you would look around you and the coast was all around you you could see the themed elements and it was all transparent, 
where you walk into the roller coaster was part of the experience. It wasn't like, oh, we can't see the ride because it's, you know, we're going to space later. You were already in Discovery Mountain. You were already in the vibe. And that was the original iteration of the roller coaster that has since, of course, changed a little bit again. And it's amazing to think that... So, okay, so this ride in 1995 cost... Like, the version that we got, this was the budget version that we got, (laughs) cost $90 million in 1995, which adjusted for inflation is about $162 million. And so the thought, to imagine them building the original concept that included not just one e-ticket, but three, possibly four. There's a rumor that they would have built or even relocated Horizons from Epcot because Horizons, for those of you who don't know, I mean, Horizons. So, yeah, real quick, uh, adjusted for inflation that would currently have been $181 million. $181 million for just the version. Just to build just, hyperspace just mountains. The coaster yeah. and, and the building and stuff. So, this ride was by an enormous margin, huge margin, the most expensive ride or roller coaster ever built. Um, and it was a huge gamble because Disneyland Paris was absolutely hemorrhaging money at the time. Like in 1994, things were so dire that they, Disney almost had to forfeit the resort to the banks because they were defaulting on their loans. Um, so this was the ultimate Hail Mary pass of like, we, it's like, it's do or die. Like if we don't get people interested in this resort and, and garner like international buzz, then it's not going to work. This whole thing is going to come crashing down. And they did. That ride was an international phenomenon. I remember seeing it advertised on Disney Channel when I was a kid living in California. A roller coaster in Paris in the 90s being advertised around the world. You grew up with advertisements for it. Oh, yeah. I still remember like reading, seeing magazines and seeing pictures of Space Mountain and you know, being taunted as like, you know, the fastest launching coaster or something, or, like, the first day, the first that. I mean, it was like, yeah. you know, they were marketing it. And this was well into the 2000s, that it was yeah. marketing just that ride. Because, of course, the ride is as old as I am, if not a year older. Um, and when I was a kid and I was able to read, and I was just, like, reading on my own, there was still advertisements in magazines, and there was ads for it. And, like, that that marketing campaign must have gone on for at least 10 years. I mean, at least 10 years, oh, yeah. because... I still remember Hong Kong Disney opened, and it was also an ad about that in the magazine in 05. And I still remember there was a whole section on Space Mountain in Paris Yeah, that was also in the same magazine. Probably because yeah. Mission 2 was 2005 as well. Maybe that that's was, why. I yeah. mean, they pretty much were... They, that ride was the figurehead of advertising that entire resort. Even after Studios, even after Rock and Roller Coaster opened, Space Mountain was the focal point for the entire operation for, the, for 10 years and then went straight into... Mission 2 and its advertising campaign. And even to this day, I mean, that ride is, is on everything. Even if you're not a Star Wars person, that's okay. The, the ride, the show building is on all of the merch. It's everywhere. It's really uh, a park icon of, signif- of unparalleled significance, even compared to the other space mountains at the other parks. Um, but yeah, I just can't imagine how much it would have cost to do the original iteration. It would have been like the price of building Disneyland Paris to begin with. Like it was like building a second gate to do, but it really was like a giant indoor land. It was almost like discovery land had a new land within the land, uh, which now is a lot more common than back in the day. But like, I can guarantee you that even, I don't think even Walt Disney studios cost $90 million to build 
when they built it because oh, it that's why they were so so <laughs> yeah. So the fact that they had this roller coaster that cost as much as a park, <laughs> a cheap park, a bad park, <laughs> and then and then the original concept was for like a park within a park with like four rides and two levels and all the stuff, and it's like, uh, if only if only there was just unlimited money. Could you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> so for sake of time, we're gonna move on because we're already. We're moving at a, 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 a we're moving at a snail's we're moving pace. at a pace. But there's a lot to cover. Yeah. Luckily, the next couple of rides will be will be quicker talk. So uh, <laughs> next up, we have Jurassic World and Universal Studios Beijing, which most people know it's um, a this is a ride system as Transformers or Spider Man at Islands of Adventure. However, it was originally conceptualized to be an inverted suspended dark ride in the infamous sphere ride vehicles that we see in the Jurassic World movie. Um, you know, the, the one that falls off the cliff and all, and all the good stuff. Um, which makes a lot of sense because when you're on the ride, um, that is a prominent kind of feature or a prominent a theming element is, is, the, is the gyrosphere. However, that concept, it was too hard to do. It was too hard to build a dark ride that involved either suspended from the ceiling or even attached to the ground a gyrosphere ride vehicle. So they end up doing the, the classic ride vehicle. And the dark ride looks like it's one of Universal's very best dark rides, hands down. Can't wait to hopefully ride it next year. But um, it really was originally conceptualized to be a gyrosphere dark ride. Can you imagine? Yeah, and, and it's it makes a lot of sense why they ultimately had to stick with what they knew. I mean, you have this the Spider-Man and Transformers ride system that is like tried and true. You've got it. You've got a brand new resort, brand new park. This is the signature focal point attraction for this whole resort. Like, it has to work. You have to get it right the first time. So, I think ultimately it was the right choice to go with, to stick with a ride system that was a safe bet and let the, the rides scenes and animatronics do the heavy lifting, which they do. Because, I mean, we've only seen, like, YouTube POVs of this thing, but God, it video it videotapes beautifully. It is a fabulous looking attraction and i don't think the fact that the ride system technology itself is you know 25 years old is at all a detractor from this ride being a a a next generation next level modern experience um plus there's the the capacity i don't think the the gyrospheres is depicted in the films only hold two people i could see that just being a very challenging yeah or doing like you know doing a 16 passenger version of it i mean yeah it would maybe yeah i think maybe quite early on they realized that that wasn't going to work out especially if it's going to have to carry the dark ride status of the resort Mm -hmm. and they're already building transformers so for maintenance and purposes maybe it was just better to do the same ride system twice absolutely which is just the only park that has the exact same ride system Twice in the same park. In the same gate, yeah. Because yeah. Universal, we have it in the same Orlando resort. Have the same resort, but not the same park. Yeah. Um, so that is actually kind of interesting. Um, next up on our list, we have Incredicoaster. Um, you may think, why is that on there? <laughs> um, it's mostly on there for the Incredicoaster version of the ride. Mm-hmm. Because when they announced in 2017 that they were going to do uh, Pixar Pier for 2018, they released a bunch of renderings, a bunch of concept arts, and, uh, you know, they were going to add show scenes to the previous California Screaming Roller Coaster, now Incredicoaster, sorry. Um, and one part of that concept included an entirely covered final helix with a tunnel into the brake runs with a tunnel, and then having indoor scenes going all the way back into the right station. Uh, however, 
That didn't happen. They just built a small outdoor scene at the very end. Uh, I would have loved an extra tunnel, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think in closing everything from the last Helix all the way through the station and all the way up to the first launch, actually, um, it's a shame that the budgets were cut where they were because I feel like this was... California Screaming was already a victim of budget cuts. All of California Adventure 1.0 was a budgetary move. And the ride always felt like a really solid blank canvas, but still a blank canvas. And this was an opportunity to like give the ride some life and substance and give it some scenes. And even though the two scenes that it got, it has a scene at the beginning and a scene at the end, and they're very cute, but like, it's just unfortunate that they could have done, like they could have really done uh, like proper dark ride moments for this ride with the concepts that they had developed. Plus, I just feel like the brake runs and stuff, the business end of this ride that is visible to all on, like, the final breaks and at the very beginning, like, it's just, it's just not, it doesn't give themed ride. Like, they kind of had to, it's sort of a cop-out because it's a roller coaster themed to a roller coaster. And even the characters, like, I love how in the pre-show, Violet is, like, not sold on the fact that the city named an old roller coaster, as she puts it, after the family. Um... Which is kind of a clever way to acknowledge the fact that the ride was budgeted to death again. And, like, they couldn't even afford to paint the whole thing for the relaunch of the ride. Um, it's, I think the ride, it, I, I like it. I think it's interesting and clever. And they gave it a, they gave it a good shot. Like, what they did end up doing with, like, the theme tunnels and stuff, like, they did some interesting stuff. It's still, I think it, it attracts more people than it did as California Screamin', and I, I don't know, they tried. It would be nice, in a perfect world, they would add more to it and do things like the Jack-Jack scene with the airtime hills towards the end, like the Jack-Jack guys were supposed to bounce like up and down, but instead they're static. That part's actually really weird for me because I feel like we're looking at so much hardware and backstage to even like find the little Jack-Jack guys that we're supposed to be looking at. I don't know. But um, who knows, maybe maybe they'll inject a little more funding into that ride later to kind of polish it up a little bit. But for now, it's all right. It's, it's all right. It's not bad. It's not great. But it's something. It's interesting. It could be worse. Um, let's see. Where, oh, yes. Okay, we're so just, going, next up on we're just list, going up to uh, five. This is what I'm pretty excited for. And this is the original theme of Superman the Escape at Circus Magic Bound. Of course, Superman at Magic Bound was a limit pushing um, just like hyperspace. It was in the early day of launch roller coasters and Intamin had figured they were going to do a magnetically launched system to get the trains up to, you know, 100 miles per hour supposedly. Um, I don't know if Superman I mean, I guess Superman did reach that in the beginning but it didn't yeah. run at that speed for, uh, for, for its entire lifetime. But originally the ride was concept as Velocitron which <laughs> honestly cool nowadays name. sounds like um, you know a robot of dinosaur <laughs> cool Orlando roller coasters, but really it was themed to a factory with lots of almost like sci-fi-ish vibes um, and a giant turbo machines that that would be tubes that the the, the ride vehicles will launch out of, and um, then there would be a giant laser that would come from a, a vocal point in the entrance area that would point all the way at the top of the tower and then would reflect off of a mirror there. Um, it was a crazy pie-in-the-sky-looking concept that was actually really close to being creative. There, the creative, there was blueprints and everything for it. 
Um, I think it looks awesome. I'm, I'm a little surprised that Superman never got tunnels. I mean, it has a you know small tunnel in the beginning, but other than that, you're just going outside for the entirety of the launch. Um, but yeah, it was conceptualized to have tunnels almost the entire way to the tower, which Tower of Terror in uh, Australia did. That's now closed. Um, yeah, it looks very cool. I like all the steam. It even respected it uh, yeah. it respected the Japanese rock garden kind of vibe that, that Samurai Summit originally had. Um, and then kind of by using a bridge with traditional touches of, of Japanese architecture, you would come over to the building of Flazotron. It also looks like the Flazotron entrance plaza had viewing windows into the tube so you could see the trains launch away. Um, very cool concept. I, um, I don't want to say I'm sad it didn't happen because it's going to be Fortress of Fortress. Fortress of Solitude. That one. It's also really neat. Yeah. But you can't help but look at a concept like this and think, wow, that's such a neat idea, original idea. Yeah, with the laser and yeah, stuff. Yeah, Philosophron, I mean, it looks, it looks like, you know, some sort of factory that created this crazy machine that just launches, which when Superman opened, that really was mm-hmm. crazy. The ride that went 100 miles an hour, launched, shot up almost 400 feet. It was unheard of in 95, you know? And then this concept actually made its way to Six Flags St. Louis the following year. But both times, the the themes for these attractions were upstaged by DC Comics characters. Um, obviously, Mr. Freeze was what Six Flags St. Louis ended up getting. But originally, it was conceptualized as a smaller version of Superman the Escape. Um, and then they ended up you know, developing the Mr. Freeze setup, which I think Six Flags St. Louis still got a pretty good deal (laughs) with getting a Mr. Freeze clone instead of, like, a 200-foot version of Superman. Um, Oh, okay, so now we need to go back to Disneyland. We're going to talk about... (laughs) We need to go back to Disneyland. (laughs) Okay, so the rocket rods, I think I just, like, gave people terrifying flashbacks to this experience or their attempts at experiencing... This experience rocket rods at Disneyland started out as a concept for Tokyo Disney, where you would ride. So Tokyo Disney never built a people mover type attraction, but in the nineties there was a concept for them to build a people mover esque attraction that was a thrill ride called Rocket Bikes, and it was like a motorcycle ride that went along an elevated track. Um, <laughs> that concept never really truly died because I feel like when you look at Tron, um, you're getting <laughs> you. That's what you got in a sense um, <laughs> is the rocket bikes from Tokyo Disney resurrected. Um, the bikes were transformed into vehicles, rocket rods. I think because it was like for capacity and accessibility reasons, and when. Tokyo Disney ultimately passed on the concept. It trickled its way to Disneyland, where they thought it would be a good idea to reuse the People Mover track for this thrill attraction. Extremely short-sighted, because as we all know, the People Mover track was not in a uh, it was not in a construction position to support the heaviness of the vehicles and the remodel of the track and the constant accelerating and braking of the vehicles because they cut the budget for banked turns. And then one thing that I, that I must admit that was actually kind of interesting is that um, when Disneyland conceptualized doing rocket bikes, um, they actually conceptualized doing it themed to Star Wars 
to um, was it Return of the Jedi? Yeah. Um, and, and you know, do like the Jedi and or like the speeder bikes. Yeah. And um, so that was actually the first concept of it um, being applied to Disney land, which yeah. kind of makes sense given the success of um, Star Tours at the time. And it's funny because now, it, it, you know, things come full circle, just like how, like how I just said that Tron was sort of like the second coming of Tokyo Disney's rocket bikes concept. Now we're looking at the, the there's a concept for a speeder bike clone of Tron for Disneyland Paris. Yeah, for, uh, for their <laughs> Discovery Discovery's land Edge. expansion, Discovery's <laughs> Edge, the, the Star Wars land, for those that had, haven't heard of it. Um the concept would be for it to be located where the old Pizza Planet restaurant was, which is on the other side of the train tracks. Yeah. Over on the um, the side of the what is the show called again? Uh, Filler Magic yeah. Theater. Um, and then the land would practically kind of sit behind the, the show building for Star Tours, which then the concept is that you would board Star Tours and you would arrive in the new land and that's where you would exit into the land and that land would then host a Tron clone that is completely themed to Star Wars. Um, please make it happen. I know. Please. please. I, mean, I love so Tron. Good. But like, I love the idea of a custom Tron speeder bike version just as much, honestly. I think the funny thing about Rocket Rod, since this is a concept art episode, now this was never, I don't think ever intended to pan out to anything, but there was concept art for Tron or for for Rocket Rods in the queue that was thematic, and it showed the Rocket Rods network of vehicles expanding beyond the park. There was like a track that went to California Adventure. There was a track that went to the Convention Center. Like I don't think there was ever actually any intention to do this with the ride, but it's fun that one of the theme elements for Rocket Rods was concept art that was that demonstrated lofty premise that. Um, never obviously went anywhere. And even the ride on its best day was a, just a complete, complete fiasco. But a really fun ride, I will say, is I have very fond memories of it in my childhood, even though it, it was not a, a success. Um, and I really hope that there's a, there's more development in the future of Tomorrowland, Disneyland. Like, Tomorrowland needs to be fixed desperately. It seems like Disneyland Resort will do everything under the sun, except take on that project. And I think they know because it means rides are going to close lots and lots of demolition. I mean, the entire people mover track has to be demolished and it's like situated over the infrastructure of several existing rides. So it's going to be a mess, but someday they'll uh, do it. Next (laughs) up on our list is Ripsaw Falls and Universal's (laughs) Islands of Adventure, which uh, most people are familiar with this ride is a Mac log flume that kind of has water coaster portions um, throughout the ride. And uh, most of the ride is just a single track flume ride, um, quite long, quite expensive, quite detailed. And then you end with, you know, splitting up into two drops because of the, the spacing of where the boats need to be given the, the giant underground drop and have the airtime hill afterwards and then having two separate stations at the end. So from the top of the big drop all the way until boarding, it is two stations. Um, anyway, it was actually conceptualized to be something... Completely pine sky. They wanted to create a singular boat that was um, two by two, almost like say Splash Mountain, Splash Mountain um, in Orlando. But then, you know, you wouldn't touch each other. It wouldn't be shared benches. It'd be individual seats. Individual and seat. then when you get to the top of the <laughs> lift on the big drop, a thematic bus saw 
would <laughs> simply saw your boat into two halves as you would go down the down drop. the middle, and then each side and would go down two its different, own drop. You know, like two different ride vehicles. <laughs> How exactly they wanted to achieve this, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, you know, that, that's all concepts, but conceptually, if you look at some of the really, really old concepts, it's very clear that you can see um, boats traveling on a singular flume. Side by side, and then at the very top of the hill is when they there's two boats coming down that are individual small inline line boats. Yeah, really cool. There's some concepts of how that scene would have worked, and you know I will say to their credit, the ride actually strayed away from this concept as little as possible. Obviously, they did the single inline boats for the entire ride. I love inline boats for log flumes. I prefer them over the two abreast. Flumes because I think it's you just get a full range of, of view, um, and then the buzzsaw scene at the top of the drop is still there, and it when the boats either go down the left or right shaft, it's represented by the buzzsaw splitting the flume into two halves, um, and then you go down one or the other in a, in a sort of like a arrow hydro flume esque sort of way. So you know, to their credit, they really loved that idea of the boats being divided, of the flume at least, being divided in half by the buzzsaw, even though they, they could never figure out a way to do a a double inline boat that literally gets split in half midway through the ride. But um, points for creativity, and obviously they still developed a, a fabulous ride that a lot of people love, that is extremely well-liked and, and well-revered in the lexicon of flume rides, so... Not, not, no, not much was lost. It's not like it was something that was totally possible and cut for budget reasons. It's just the technology didn't exist, and it was kind of a fun idea, but not something that could really have been done. <laughs> and then we're moving on to... Oh, we're still in Florida. We're staying in Florida. We're moving on to Disney World, and we're going to talk about Space Mountain at Magic Kingdom, which was the first of the Space Mountains built. And it's two tracks, for those that aren't familiar with this version of Space Mountain, unlike all the other ones, it's two tracks, two stations... And even though the tracks are pretty much mirrors of one another um, by a few inches being off, the original concept actually called for Space Mountain to be four tracks. Yeah. And it called for it to go outside. Like, the whole idea was that Space Mountain would be the physical mountain where you would go in and outside, almost like a space themed Matterhorn. And it was so cute. I love, so like at the Disneyland Hotel, they still have one of the like concepts of like blue sky concepts for the park that um, was developed in the sixties. And it had a, an early version of space mountain that was massive and had, I originally thought that the tracks being outside of the ride was just a flourish to like show people looking at the map that it was a roller coaster, but you're right. It really, they really thought like they really wanted the ride to like pop out of the show building. Yeah. For those that are um, interested in, in watching um, or, or seeing something more about it, if I'm not mistaken, the behind the attractions series on Disney plus actually mentions how it was supposed to go outside and then go back inside. Um, as like the, the concept of the ride. And yeah, I think it was fascinating. The concept of it being a four track roller coaster, that would have been like incredible capacity, but even two tracks, for Magic Kingdom Space Mountain seems is like quite the operational undertaking. The ride's a, it's pretty weirdly complicated with like its unload that is like in a basement and the load that is on top of it and the empty vehicles dispatch into a little hidden lift hill that takes them up to the top. It's very fascinating. It, it's still 
for its down, for its time, like in its day, Space Mountain and Magic Kingdom was still quite an impressive mechanical thing. I hope that they give that ride a major top down remodel and and bring it at least into the twenty first century because it's just old and janky and and fun in ways that are ironic and not futuristic. So maybe they'll they can give it give Tron like a, a proper sibling. Something that's actually futuristic and modern and clean looking at some point. And next on our list is Powder Keg at Silver Dollar City, which um, started its life as what was the original name? Buzz Falls. Falls. Yeah, so, so straightforward. A premier ride's liquid coaster. Um, because the ride, I mean, it, it ran for several years and it struggled with reliability, struggled with capacity. Um, so I think, I guess after about it was less than 10 years. They called it quits and, and called up Premier Rides to turn the ride into a launched roller coaster. Um, but it was still supposed to be a, a ride that it had a water component, like a, a simulated splash down. Yeah, so a lot of the um, the concrete infrastructure, the basins of the bus off fault ride were to remain in place, which they are remaining in place. They are still there. However, they were supposed to be filled with water and it was going to be water effects. And even Bowderkeg's launch was supposed to be over water with a water effect as it, you know, almost as if it was scooting across the water because the trains are barrel-themed. And so the original you know, idea of doing powder keg is reusing some of the ride, um, the track of the water coaster that was previously there, adding more track to it, doing a hydraulic, not hydraulic, and an air pressure log, yeah. and um, then using, the paying homage to the original theme and the, the, the new theme, is having a bunch of simulated water effects, including again the water effects upon launch, where you cross a you know a, a body of water, and then when you get back to the um, ride building area after the final drop, there was supposed to be a simulated splashdown um, using water infrastructure. Water cannons, ride. yeah, yeah. Sort of like I mean that's sort of what um, the the um, Daredevil Falls at Dollywood does. Those Hopkins super flumes, um, they, they can really turn the splash on or off depending on the weather. Like you can still ride that flume in the winter and you don't have to worry too much about getting soaking wet um, because the brakes and stuff are magnetic, I think. I think it has magnetic brakes. Now I'm not sure. <laughs> Maybe I'm just thinking of, of um, Jurassic Park at, at Universal Studios Hollywood. But yeah, I feel like for Hershen Family Entertainment, for a company that is so polished and their concepts, even when they get shrank like Tennessee Tornado did, they usually come out looking really nice. I wish that the that powder keg, like when you come off the when you do the drop after the lift hill, there's like you can see how they are they built one concrete one small concrete basin that was presumably going to be for a splash effect, and then they just kind of gave up partway through. I wish they would. I wish they would either finish it or tear it down because it just looks like ugly, abandoned infrastructure that does not fit the the theme of the ride at all. It doesn't even look like dilapidated and worn down in a way that like the flume portion does. That is sort of thematic. It just looks like a concrete cube that um, shouldn't be there. And then next <laughs> on our list is the Crusher's Coaster at Disneyland Paris, which was originally conceptualized very, very way back as um, being an indoor coaster, but being a kid's coaster called Mickey's Band Coaster, where you would go into a show building oh, yes. that was themed to a soundstage, and you would go around, you know, our cartoonish world, 
kiddie coaster style with uh, Mickey and a bunch of band yeah theming. I forgot about that. Um, it was themed to the band concert short, just like Silly Symphony Swings. Yeah, and it the was themed to be in Soundstage 28, and it was going to be a soundstage just like our Sorry. current soundstage <laughs> that we have for Crush's Coaster. And Crush's Coaster um, was conceptualized to be a two, almost like a mirror um, roller coaster, two, two sides of a classic Maurer spinning coaster. And it was going to have two show buildings for it. And the original ride concept even called for sitting on the back of a turtle shell, but then everyone facing forward. That's, of course, been changed to people sitting back-to-back in the more traditional Mario style. And the original name was supposed to be Crush's Turtle Twister, which I think is a cute name. Yeah. In fact, I feel like I've called it that before. Yeah, I think they Um, had to change it because they just wanted it to be more obvious to people what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, for those that aren't super familiar with the Crush's Coaster roller coaster at Walt Disney Studios Paris, it is a, a Mauer Spinner roller coaster that features a dark ride section. You start off in the station, make a turn, have a lift hill, and then you end up on top of the lift hill. You go outside through a little reef, blue reef. That's so cute. The, like, the ride has such fabulous curb appeal. And then once you get inside, there is a, a show scenes, um, like a dark ride, maybe like three or four. Um, rooms where you go through with little drops and stuff in between and depending on which way you're facing which is really really fun you get different scenes so if you're facing forward and on the ride you are seeing a different scene where you're facing backwards so there's a scene where you see the big underwater like mine like the bombs whatever they are mm-hmm. oh yeah the, um, the, the, the but if you're facing bombs, backwards yeah. what you're seeing is you're seeing the reef of all the jellyfish you know like the, the oceans of jellyfish um, and there, there are several scenes that kind of work like that. And then using the bilingual aspect of having one character speak French, the other speak English, it all works really well. We're big fans of the ride. I love this ride. Um, and I think Disneyland Paris was in a budget situation, so they only built one side of it, meaning the capacity isn't great. Even though they pushed those trains out continuously, I think capacity is about 960 on that. But at least they, the ride itself, the experience, once you get on the ride, oh, it's fantastic. they didn't budget any of like They didn't have to cut the budget for the experience itself, just the capacity. So that's a great little roller coaster, but yeah, it was originally conceptualized to be two sides, um, which would have really, I think, worked with the um, the capacity for Disneyland sure. Paris, if you're listening, it's not too late to build a second crush. Right. It's never too Just late. Just build another build one right crush. next to it. I mean, it's we not know too it's late. popular. It's the ride is eternal. We will always love it. <laughs> Anything else on that matter? No, I think that covers it. Cool. I wish Moving we could, on to we California. Just, we were just there. We only got to ride it once because it was big broke on the last day when we were going to ride it again. And I miss it. I'm ready to go back and ride it some more. So then we're going to jump to a Viper Sacrifice Magic Mountain, uh, which has seen a couple changes since it opened, especially after the first season because oh, yeah. the drop wasn't banked properly. <laughs> so it was tearing itself up and it weren't enough supports <laughs> to support the, uh, the, the fan dirt turn. That comes after the first vertical loop, and all the vertical loops had to be replaced with re- reinforcement, reinforced loops. So Viper had seen its fair share of of updates after. It's the crazy opening. they didn't learn their lesson with Shockwave or Great American Scream Machine. Like by the time they built Viper, they should have known that the tops of the loops needed extra bracing, and that the turnaround was going to need buttressing. But it was all still stuff that they figured out after the ride opened. But then the original concept actually called for Viper to have a. Highly elevated turn on top of the the lift, and then followed by a big vertical loop. Sorry, a big vertical by a big vertical drop going down, um, and then the rest of the right layout was supposed to be pretty it similar. It looked like El Toro, you guys. It was really cool. And I think that kind of makes sense because when you look at, for example, um, 
Vortex at King's Island that is unfortunately no longer with us. That also had a turn and like a big yeah. straight drop. It was like um, that. It would have been really cool the for Viper to do that awesome. too, especially because this was before Magic Man had any sort of hyper style rides. Those were all um, not really a thing yet, and besides Magnum. But I think maybe there was even a little bit of an inspiration there of like, okay, you know, maybe we'll, we'll include a big drop, like a big moment of airtime before doing the rest of the ride. Um, didn't happen. <laughs> but still really cool nonetheless. It was immortalized in one of the park's 1990 brochures where the concept of Viper was what graced the front page of it because there was no physical ride to photograph when they were putting those in print. So if you search like Six Flags Magic Mountain 1990 park map or brochure, you will find um, the concept art for <laughs> for Viper gracing the front of this pamphlet. And so next up, we have Kali River Rapids at Animal Kingdom at Walt Disney World. This one is really, really wild. And this one is literally Probably wild. the wildest concept First of all, ever. it wasn't meant to be a circular rapids ride from the original concept. It was actually going to be a raft ride, uh, much like, for example, River Adventure, the Jurassic Park rides at Universal Studios or Hollywood or Islands of Adventure, Japan, you know the ones. Um, where you would all be facing forward, but you were going through animal exhibits. And we're not just talking a few animal exhibits. We're talking really up-close encounters, animals really close to the vehicles. Um, of course, that was then eventually scaled back to be a little bit further away from the vehicles and then circular rapids ride um, to the point where they realized they couldn't do any of that without staffing every boat for you know, safety purposes, because you don't want a bunch of unaccompanied boats, uh, up to hundreds of people at a time, going through animal exhibits, not being able to tell what's happening with the animals or the passengers, or not being able to get to them quick enough. So it actually, actually ended up being a completely neutered-down version, where I think it just skipped to the good part, right? Like, yeah. it just kind of skipped all the animal exhibits, yeah. and then went straight to just being the rapid ride. Because when you look at the um, the Africa... Um, well, when you look at the whole area that Colorado Rapids is in, a lot of the concept art things do come back. You have the island with the monkeys, um, and two of them actually. There's two animal exhibits that are right around the Colorado Rapids um, that the ride was supposed to go through. One of which it does kind of go by still, so I guess we got one animal exhibit mm-hmm. that we actually yeah, got. Sure. Um, and then you can see where the ride was supposed to start and kind of go through the Maharajan jungle track mm-hmm. and have you know, elements in there before going up the lift toe and doing what it's doing now with this little conservation message. But really the ride is super short now because it was conceptualized yes. to be twice as long, but having a giant animal aspect to it that, Nothing that doesn't exist. gives away the ride's original scope quite like the, the shortness of the ride that we have now. I mean, look at this concept art for the whole park. I mean, look how massive. Yeah, color was, was supposed to take up pretty much all of it was um, Asia, huge. and it only took up like a third of it. And that there's still land behind Kali River Rapids that was originally earmarked for it that um, is still not developed. Like they can still put something really major back there. And it's crazy because the more you look, the more concepts are out there of it just going through the animal, like an Asian, yeah. an Asian uh, elephant. They ultimately, uh, probably, I feel like this goes without saying now, but ultimately they decided that they shouldn't have wild animals and, a, and an unpiloted vehicle attraction, like a boat in a flume. Um, those things are not going to mix. And <laughs> it's funny because then you look at concepts when they shifted gears from being raft, rafts like Jurassic Park to being um, circular, circular rapid rides, yeah. rafts. 
they all the concepts have over the shoulder restraints, like hard restraints, and everyone's holding onto them in the concept, which obviously never happened either. We just went with really basic um, boats, but I, I do love Disney the ride. It's just I could have been so much more. Not yeah. having a restraint system on a circular Rap, a water ride, yeah, set up. <laughs> Yeah, but I think because it was one of the first to do a drop, if not the first yeah, major rapid ride in the world drop. to have a proper drop. Yeah. Um, I think that was really like, you know, mm-hmm. what did we do to keep people from falling? And then next on our list is the Batman and Robin the Chiller, which I'll let Alex talk a little bit more <laughs> about this because it's literally his phone background. So this concept for the Chiller was something that I stumbled on by accident looking at concept art for Mr. Freeze. Mr. Freeze more or less was built in the image of the concept. Um, whereas the chiller, the original concept, so the chiller I always thought had kind of a puzzling sequence of events. I always thought it was odd that instead of a vertical spike, like the Mr. Freeze coasters, it had a 45 degree angle spike and it had the really cool zero G rolls. Um, <laughs> after the, the Cobra roll and or top hat element, um, and the ride would, would tear those up, which is barrel right into them because they were relatively low. They were, they kind of seemed like they were part of the spike, but like at the very beginning, like the beginning of your, your, your gravity spike into the magnets that would push you up further and then shoot you back farther to get you back to the station in one piece. Um, it kind of seemed like it was all one element, but I also felt like it was kind of odd. Originally, the ride was developed. It had the same kind of sequence of events leading up to once you exited the Cobra Roll or the Top Hat, you would then enter a a Immelman, a half loop of sorts, and then twist out of it, and then continue at a 45-degree angle up... And so, because it's an Immelman, now you're the the forty five degree angle spike would actually go over the top of the top hat and the cobra roll. It would clear it. It was sort of like I don't know. It was it was like an like a little acute angle. Like you would come out of it and you would barrel into this very sharp Immelman type thing and then twist out of it and and then roll over the. top. I mean, it's it's amazing. Um, Great Adventure history has the concept art for this thing. And it is so wild. I mean, this would have killed you. Like, the, the Immelman... Yeah, I mean, I think the, I think the concept no art was really meant to just showcase the possibilities because, again, let's not forget that it was supposed to be a complete 360 twist on the back of the top hat, too. They come down the top hat, do a complete 360, oh, yeah. like, Tuxel Drax The original, twist, like, King so of the moment. Yeah, that's um, true. So, obviously, the concept, but I think the most important takeaway from this concept is, is that it was really meant to be stacked on itself. So, unlike what we've seen at, at the end, where... Where it took up all the space. Where it, it took up, you know, almost like, like a parallel movement, where both inversions were elements that would put you in opposite direction, and then on the side of the station, you would have your, your spike. This was really meant to be stationed someplace, and then launch, and then continue over itself with, um, you know, for, for the spike. Completely different concept than what we end up getting, and even what we end up getting was honestly pretty wild. So yeah, uh, and it all just really sad. What that seemed like such an odd choice with the inversions and the forty-five degree angle. It was such a fun light bulb moment when I finally stumbled on this concept art because it's like, oh, that's why they wanted to do it this way. That's why it was forty-five degrees instead of vertical. That's why there's a a, a seemingly random inline twist at it. Like they really just wanted to 
keep the essence of the original ride concept as much as they could while having to make the necessary changes that would And it really was a cool ride. ride. I'm yeah. super sad that it didn't last. And I think yeah. it would have if it didn't mess with the power grid. Because, uh, you know, at the end of the day, if you look at the other premier rides, they were, they're almost all overbuilt. Like, they yeah. are so oversupported, overstructured. They are beefy rides. And the Mr. Freezes are oh, life and well. Um, you know, the spaghetti balls are life and well. I think this ride would have lasted if it wasn't just such a nightmare maintenance-wise. And I just think that they couldn't handle the early LSM doing two and launching at the same time. It was, it was kind of a mess. And, and the of course, it tore itself apart in the Zero struggle G-roll. for them, too. That's another yeah. clue. There's just clues of this ride having an original, having a different concept than what was originally built. Because the the fact that the zero G rolls were sort of a compromise from the original concept, and then it proved to be uh, a problematic component of the ride going like in the long run to the point where they had to replace them, is like part of a last ditch effort to get the ride functional. It all just is very telling. That <laughs> like the zero G rolls were not something that was as well thought out as like everything else prior in the ride experience. But what are you gonna do? It was it, points for ambition. It's a really cool ride, and I I would be nice if they could if Premier Rides would build <laughs> a and modern speaking, version. Speaking of barrel rolls and rides that didn't quite work out, um, <laughs> Maverick. Beautiful segue. At Cedar Point. And I'm sure many of our coaster nerds on this podcast know exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> used to have a zero G, not zero G roll, a, a barrel, barrel roll that you barrel through so quickly that it could pretty much murder you. And they conceptualized this and then they made a video renderings of it and then they built it and then they tested it. It got that far to the point where they realized, yeah, we can't do this. The test dummies are just like exploding. As we're <laughs> That's right. The heads through. on the test dummies were exploding. <laughs> and so. Instead, they had they were forced to take it out and replace it with a rather dull but still really fast element. I mean, still can't believe that was supposed to be zero two. I mean, a, a barrel roll. And then the Mosasaurus roll came and gave us what we had been l- missing in our and lives. And the Mosasaurus roll is the final roll on Velocicoaster here at Islands of Adventure. Just a quick little little throw in there. Skyrush will be a quick one too. What were the differences again on Skyrush's concept? There was a no limits. Skyrush concept that Hershey Park Park released. Yeah. That was just not accurate. It had like a little helix there at the far end. And it was, it was just, I don't know how much of that was just somebody not really following the design or if that was a reflection of an earlier design. And then by the time it was released, they had already made changes. But yeah, Skyrush had some funny, um, I don't even know if that video is still like on YouTube or anything, but there was like the, the announcement video for Skyrush in No Limits showed um, a, a definitely a noticeably different version of the ride, especially towards the back half of it. Uh, but nothing crazy. Again, I don't think there was, there was no, there was nothing lost <laughs> really with what was emoted from that version of Skyrush, if that was even a real like version of the layout. And then next up on our list is um, Port Aventura World. And originally, of course, built by or conceptualized by Bush, built by Bush, sold off to be operated by Universal, this, that, and the other. We've got a whole episode on it yeah. early in the season. Yeah, it was Madame Tussauds for a while. It was, it was like there was a lot of had their fingerprints all over this place. But the nice thing was is that Bush, um, the bones are, are incredible and they put a lot of money into it. And it was actually the Mine Train and Lark Flume combo, which you got Silver Flume. 
the the flume ride. Yeah. And then you have the Train de la Mina. Train de la Mina, which is uh, it's Diablo Train de la Mina, yeah. which is located in, in the Mexico the area. Mexico area. And originally the entrance was in the Mexico area that bordered the Far West land, which also Far West is where Silver River is. Um, and that was all supposed to be one giant mountain of roller coaster and flume ride, which makes a lot of sense because when you're at Port Aventura and you ride the flume ride, you're going through the flume and you're all around you is the mine train. And it, it just looks like there was supposed to be more. Like there's a bunch of, you know, metal superstructure and it just looks like there was supposed to be a giant mountain there. And there's... I don't think there's any concept art that we have found of the attraction, but what you can find is the park map from 1995 that clearly shows um, a mountain structure. Almost all of the flume was obscured from view in this version of the concept. The mine train would pass through the mountain once or twice, but really it was, I think it was mostly for the flume in a sense. Um, because when you look at the maps from opening, and it's like, I mean, they, apparently, Sven told us that they cut the um, the budget on the mountain so that they could spend more money on Dragon Con and make it a B&M. Originally, it was, Dragon Con was going to be Looper essentially like Gouldrick's, but with an yeah. eighth inversion, and they cut budget elsewhere in the park to splurge on a B&M, which I think a lot of people would agree was a good choice. Um but yeah, so they, they lost the funding on the mountain, and then they never decided to add it again. I think they were happy with the kinetic nature of how the flume and the mine train turned out anyway. There may have really been no need to put them in a mountain, even though it would have looked cool from the outside. You have to do a lot on the inside of a decorative showpiece like that to really justify it. And I think, like, I love the flume. I wouldn't change anything about those rides except you know, not being able to choose your own row on the mine train or any of the other coasters at this park. Um, so I'd say even though the mountain was cool and, and an interesting, like, little tidbit about the future or, or, or about the ride's past and the development of this attraction, um, I think it's perfectly fine the way that it is. And then next up on our list is um, Dragon Mountain. Dragon Mountain. At Marineland, Canada. Um or Niagara Falls, whatever they call themselves. Don't they, go here. They did the absolute most the with this ride. But it was a cool concept. They had to develop. So they did all the terraforming and stuff for Dragon Mountain was done from scratch to build this ride. So they they didn't just build a showpiece mountain and put a coaster in it. They actually built a physical little mountain um, from dirt. Yeah. From dirt. <laughs> and built the roller coaster through. I mean, the amount of money that they spent on I this I mean, thing when it opened, it was the world's largest, crazy. largest steel coaster. Yeah. And, um, the stuff it does, I mean, it has a bunch of underground tunnels. It has one once in a lifetime. This is another roller coaster tycoon you know, kind of crazy. project. Like, you could really build this ride to the exact specifications of Roller Coaster Tycoon if you wanted. Um, and so it, the the ride was so this is another example of a ride just going so over budget that they couldn't do they built it as as much as they could um the ride always conceptualized uh, going through a volcano or maybe more of like a caldera it's a big wide volcanoish looking thing that you do a helix through and that took a long time to cut it was like more than 20 years later they finally actually added the um Volcano set piece around yeah. it, and it still looks bad. Um, and then, you're, then after, <laughs> the volcano is a, is another entrance to yet another tunnel, 
And then you go through a tunnel, through the mountain, and on the backside of it, you were supposed to go through a replica of the Niagara Falls. And when they tell you they made a replica of the Niagara Falls, they built a giant turn. I mean, you yeah. can't imagine how big this turn is. Yeah. And half of it was supposed to be encased by rockwork where the waterfall would be on one side of you. Yeah. And you would come out of the waterfall and the waterfall would be on the other side of yeah. you. And you would just be going through this giant, I mean, practically a rim of waterfall. It was a perfect horseshoe element that the reflected the, the natural falls. But yeah, that, not only did that not get built, but it was... They didn't... They could never hope to finish that set piece. In fact, they had pieces there sitting there for for decades of just like raw steel that was supposed to be covered in rock work and waterfalls that was never finished. And um, it looked ugly as shit for <laughs> 20 years until finally they just took that, some of that steel away. Um, but yeah, the ride is it's a really cool roller coaster. It's, it's, it's a terrain ride, a classic arrow that just does the most. Um, really cool underground tunnels. It has a bow tie, the only bow tie in the world, uh, which is um, almost like a bad wing element, but you exit on the opposite side of the elements, and um, it's cool. It's very cool. But oh my god, it's it like was looking at the, so much the more. Niagara Falls portion of the ride. It was like it's so clear how the entire ride's layout was here was dictated, dictated by, that, yeah. by the desire to do where like you have the you come out of the tunnel and you do that first like quarter turn that would have been under the water like the curtain of water and then the mid-course break run would have been in the rock work and then you would pop out the other side and the water would be you'd like wrap around the water it would have been really cool well no you're supposed to be yeah like you're supposed to be inside the waterfall right and then the rock work yeah and then pop out of the waterfall right. on the other side yeah crazy like there's right there was like where the yeah. mid-course was craziness it was probably a sh- it was they were probably very sad at the time to like go through the trouble of designing this roller coaster to have that feature and then not be able to actually follow through with that. Um, but even, uh, even uh, the ride as is, like Sean said, is still a really cool, lovable ride. Oh yeah. You can see there. Yeah. That's crazy. Where, like, by the time we wrote it, all of that had been removed. Yeah. But that, that, that sat there for years. years. Yeah. And it's just so mad to make out. It's just massive. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that is uh, another, another one of those rides. And now we're jumping uh, back to Spain. and creativity. And we're going to Superman at Parker Warner, which is a really cool Florida's coaster with a unique layout, which we love. Great pacing, no mid-course break run, giant airtime hill. Everything about it. We have a whole episode on Parker Warner. Won't go into it too much. But it was actually conceptualized to be, what kind of model again? Was it a clone of Scream? Was it, it was going to be was it very similar Scream? to... So there is a... I can't even find this again. But I found it... The first time we went to Park Warner... Um, for Batman, so the first time this year, there is a version of the Park Warner Park Plan, the whole map of the park, and you can tell it's an older concept. Batman and um, Coaster Express are there. Uh, Stuntfall hadn't been added to the concept yet, um, which is, many people know that was like one of the last things that they added to the park there at the very end. I mean, I don't, the first generation, those Macoma inverted boomerangs, the giant ones didn't even, they weren't even like a thing yet when the park was designed. So it was like really, that was really like the most state of the art thing at the park when it opened because they were, it was a, it was newer technology than anything that had been put together for the park at the time. But there is a park map or a, well, not even a park map, but like a a model, a, um, a, a schematic, a blueprint of a version of the park from, probably still in the 90s gestation, maybe 2000, where the layout for Superman is clearly um, 
not an exact clone of Medusa at Discovery Kingdom, but an augmented clone. It was pretty much identical, except that instead of having the little elbow after the pre-drop, it just went straight down, as it does currently. Um, but, like, it had, this, like, the sea serpent and then the 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 corkscrews separated by the little helixes and stuff. Like, that was all there. It was very, very clearly based on Discovery Kingdom's layout. I don't know what possessed them to make that change. I'm glad they changed it because I love Superman. It's so... it's. But I also love Medusa, though. The best, Medusa, but I also love Medusa. Medusa series yeah. and, like, the sea serpent. Like, Medusa and Batman... Sorry, Medusa and Superman and, uh, and Parker Warden are both some of the, the funnest yeah. fluoroscopes because they, they do things just a little differently. You know, like, they're just quite unique in that sense. Like, considering how good Medusa is, I'm surprised that they felt the need to change the design of it at all. But it was also really cool for them to get a totally custom ride, um, which, for the record, I, I like that ride better than Dragon Con, and I wish I didn't because I wanted to like Dragon Con better. Oh, yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's just so good. Superman just runs so much better. All right, and then next on our list, we have Accelerator at Knott's Berry Farm. So the concept of current Accelerator is honestly pretty true to what we got. But once upon a time, Knott's Berry Farm was planning on expanding way out into the South parking lot, way past Ghost Rider, and build a space-themed land <laughs> with a launched roller coaster that did the most and was themed to go all around these planets and that eventually, I think, is what became Accelerator in the existing park. But it could have been really cool because not only was it just Accelerator, there was, uh, you know, supposed to be um, aviaries and there was supposed to be, you know, like just giant park expansions. And then the water park was supposed to be like a whole different size, shape and whatever. Um, Knott's was really planning on like fighting Disney head on uh, with all these concepts. And it ended up not, nothing ended up being, being ever built. But... Uh, that was really cool. And I can only imagine, because Accelerator is one of the better intimate hydraulic launch coasters out there. I can only imagine what it would have been if it was an even longer layout. Yeah. Um, and on the same topic, we have Pony Express, which <laughs> uh, Pony Express feels to me like it was a very last minute choice. It didn't require almost any restructuring in the park. It just kind of fit, you know, on either side of the train tracks um, of the train that runs through the park. And then it just kind of hovers over the midway for, for a quick second. It, it's a very short ride. I mean, Pony Express is very short. Very right? short. Oh my God. For everyone complaining about Tron. Um, <laughs> you know, Pony Express is like a fourth of Tron. It's so short. But it was actually conceptualized to be a Maverick 2.0 because when Maverick was being built, they had so many issues with it. They actually ended up not building an Intamin launch coaster like Maverick, which in a way it's kind of sad because I think at, at the end of the day, Maverick turned out to be one of see the fair's biggest successes but um it was supposed to go all around the rapids ride bigfoot rapids back then now it's calico calico river rapids i mm-hmm. think is efficient yeah um and that's where the maverick-esque roller coaster was supposed to go all around which i think would have been a really really cool fit would have also have been themed to the wild west uh would have probably had a station in a similar location that we currently find point express station but it has been a much bigger longer more expensive ride that unfortunately we didn't get. It's just sad looking at all the, there's like Knott's Berry Farm is one of those parks that has had really had like had their eye on the prize that some of the stuff that they wanted to do and some of the concepts that were developed for turning it into a resort and doing all this stuff was just so amazing and sad that like none of it, <laughs> none of it happened. Um, but still some, be- we got some beautiful concept art out of it. 
And then last but not least, Definitely I'm going to take the lead. Um, <laughs> so it's perhaps one of the wildest One of the most far-fetched and like difficult to believe. This so okay, so Efteling, famous for their dark rides, their their thematics, their their Efteling is famous for a lot of things, and not the least of which being their Python looping coaster, which was a cultural phenomenon comparable to like when Knott's Berry Farm opened the corkscrew and when Magic Mountain opened Revolution, these looping coasters, this was the one. It opened in 1980, was it 1980? 1981. It was 1981. I thought it opened in 1981 and it was a four, a quadruple loop roller coaster. It had the most inversions of any roller coaster in Europe um, by a big margin. I don't think Europe had many, even many looping coasters of any kind by then. If they did, it was, you know, one or two loops max. Um, Python was a total massive icon. And in the 90s, they got this idea. This was actually, I think, a direct response, a direct result, not only just of Disneyland Paris, but of um, uh, Space Mountain from the Earth to the Moon. Efteling got this crazy idea to expand the existing Python roller coaster by like 200%. Where the ride would have started out as it did originally, but then right where the double loops lead into the turnaround for the course cruise, it would have veered off, then a hill, and then dove in underground, under the midway, and then popped out, like, roughly around where the entrance of Lincoln the Hollander is, yeah, mm-hmm. into a sidewinder that popped out of the ground, and then into a mid-course brake run that was kind of perpendicular to where the current brake run and transfer area, basically right where the entrance of Python is. So if you're walking into the, if you've ridden Python and you're walking into the ride, there would have been a mid-course brake run directly on top of you that then would have fed the train into a second lift hill, a taller lift hill, that would have then led to, a, and, it, and these ones were parallel to, this. these two lift hills were like, if you, if you remember Twisted Twins at Kentucky Kingdom, this is kind of what it reminds me of, of the two lift hills like intersecting each other parallel-wise in sort of like an x shape. Um, it would have led to a big sweeping curving drop and then into a huge airtime camelback hump that then would have dumped down into a dirt turn and then another airtime hill and then up into another mid-course brake run. And then it would have dove down into like a, like a Drakenfire-esque cutback element or as, as Vacoma calls it, a tongue because, yeah. because Space Mountain in Paris has the only documented instance of a tongue element on a Vacoma, um, the tongue then would have fed you into a new double corkscrew that would have intersected the double loops Vortex Kings Island style and then come back around and fed itself into not one but two helixes, the first being a new helix um, sort of nested inside of the original turnaround after the vertical loops and then positioned you into the old helix the finale helix that went into the break run. And so, like, the reality of <laughs> this ride is, the only thing that was supposed to remain was, like, station, lift hill, drop, double loop, and then the final helix and break run. D- you know, cutting out the course screws. The old course And the original turnaround after the vertical loops and replacing it with a roller coaster. I mean, <laughs> the size of... I'm in five love with pounds. the Crazy. wildness of this. I mean, the absolute audacity. And you guys, like, this wasn't just It wasn't an just an idea. idea. Like, it was conceptualized. It Koma had very blueprints. There's blueprints available online. If you go to Ftopedia, there's a whole Python Plus page. 
where you can see the actual blueprints from Facoma, there is conceptualized studio renderings, there's small drawings of it, there's where the you know the freaking shop would have been. I mean, um, all the it, crazy stuff. It's, yeah. it's well, the first time I saw this, I thought it was just some like random fans, like no limits, pie in the sky nonsense layout. And then I realized that this was actually something that Vacoma and Efteling worked on for quite some time before they finally decided that it maybe wasn't the best use of funds. Like maybe, <laughs> maybe just build a new roller coaster entirely that's going to increase the capacity of the park. Um, after this, I don't think it was long after this plan was con- was canceled that they built um Vogel rock instead as their response to Space i mean so, i think like i said i'm like yeah cool but i don't know if that was ever financially a great idea to do that you could just build an extra ride and mark that yeah but all things considered one of the coolest concepts of what could have been um that really got quite far easily and, uh, the coolest thing on this episode <laughs> because it's just so wild and uh, with that, we end this episode of Crazy Rides, Crazy Concepts. If you have any concepts that we didn't mention, feel free to send to us on uh, yeah, social media. We'll uh, do another one of these. We'll definitely do we can gather enough cool concepts of other rides. And, you can message us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, or whatever, X these days. Instagram, threads, wherever you, wherever you find us. And wherever you're listening, we'd love for you to leave us a review. Five stars preferably. And we will see you guys next week. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.